evening, everyone, and welcome. You're back on the Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune, where you, the citizen, can raise your voice on a national platform of all things of liberty that concern you. And tonight, we're going to talk about a very interesting uh, subject, a very controversial subject, as well as one that's very pertinent in the news right now. Uh, this week was uh, April the 20th, 420. That uh, number has a lot of different meanings and references, and one of them is to the cannabis uh, movement, to the cannabis platform, cannabis discussion, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But first, before we get started, we forgot to do something earlier this uh, last month. We had a contest where we would draw, uh, we had people that subscribed, and the person whose name got drawn would win $100. So before we get started live on Facebook, we're going to do the drawing. And the winner is, out of all the people that subscribed in the last three months, P-A-T-R-I-C-K space S-W, I can't read the rest of it, E-E-T, Patrick Sweet, you win the $100. <laughs> okay, so guys, thank you, Patrick. You were one of the people that, um, that subscribed in the last 90 days and your name was drawn, so you will be receiving $800 um, from the Liberty Show. Okay, guys, we're gonna get started tonight about green, the green industry, cannabis, legalization, hemp, free markets, all of that good stuff. And to kick us off as our public relations, our, excuse me, public policy director, Mr. Tim Smith, slash Albany, Georgia, slash Miami, Florida. Tim, we're back on the Liberty Show, kick us off. Well, thank you, sir. I want to give a great big shout out to our hosts, to the panelists, uh, to our listeners. I see Kevin Wilson holding it down, a friend of the Liberty Show, to Damon Kennedy, of course, who is the prince, uh, Dr. Dana Bevan. Of course, we have Will holding us down as, the, as our pr producer. This is an excellent topic um, that we're going to have today regarding cannabis and free markets. But, you know, unfortunately, We've suffered the loss of, of some individuals this week at the hands of the state. Some of those individuals may have uh, needed to be murdered, but most of them, it appears, did not. And for those individuals, I think we should take a moment of silence to appreciate um, their lives. Now that we've done that, I think we should also acknowledge the individuals, the Black folks out there getting their exercise in the name of these slain individuals. And I say that they're out there getting their exercise. They like to say they're marching, but my understanding of marching, especially when it comes to uh, a force, a military force, <laughs> and I will look at our own army, when our army goes to occupy a territory, to occupy a space, and they march into that space, they don't go marching in singing, they don't go marching in praying, they go marching in to inflict punishment, retribution, to inflict pain on those individuals that they deem uh, is responsible for harming or offending their nation. And unfortunately, we've been suckered, we've been bamboozled into believing that change is going to come by us singing, change is going to come by us praying, change is going to come by us exercising. And that just hasn't been the case. And only a fool meets force with prayer while they're on their knees. That's absurd. So shout out to those Black folks and those white friends of theirs that are out there get it, getting their exercise. Kudos to you guys, you know, diabetes and heart disease is something that troubles, it plagues the black community. You would think with all the exercise that black folks do that we'd be the healthiest folks in this country. 
but unfortunately that hasn't borne out to be. So today's topic on cannabis and free markets, I don't think that we could actually talk freely and honestly about cannabis without first looking at our elected officials. Precisely the two that I'm thinking of is lock them up Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Now we know Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, he was a proponent of the Clinton crime bill. Not only was he a proponent of the Clinton crime bill, he until very recently took um, credit for writing the Clinton crime bill. In fact, he called it the Biden crime bill. And we know, especially black folks, we know the, the effects, the negative effects that the Clinton crime bill has had on our communities. We know that this, this, the, the prison industrial complex grew out of the Clinton crime bill, but yet we voted for Biden. Not only did we vote for Biden, we voted for his running mate, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris was the attorney general for the state of California. We know that Kamala Harris has put over 1,500, that's 1,500, 1,000 plus 500 individuals in prison due to marijuana violations when she was the acting attorney general of California. Yeah, somehow us black folks thought it was a great idea to vote these idiots in the office. So kudos for black folks for being played again by the system. And this is the thing, right? When we talk about cannabis, when we talk about free markets, um, the left, the Democrats are always uh, uh, quick to point out that, oh, the free markets do not help black folks. The free markets are, are, are evil and the free markets are rigged and, oh, we've got to hate the rich. But what they don't point out is that the free markets or what they're referring to free markets isn't actually free markets. It's not even freer markets. What they're pointing out to is crony capitalism. And let's look at uh, cannabis and the weed industry in this country. How hard is it for a regular individual to go out one day and decide, hey, I'd like to start a weed dispensary? Well, we know here in the state of Georgia, good luck and hell, Mary, of you ever being able to do that. But let's say you're out in a freer state when it comes to marijuana. Let's say you're in California or you're in Oregon or wherever the case is, Washington state, and you want to create a weed dispensary. Well, guess what? The hurdles that are put in place for average individual to go into the weed business is astronomical. This is not free markets. This is crony capitalism. It's the same elected officials, the Bidens, the Kamala Harris's that were locking us up in prisons, that were throwing us in jail, that were throwing the book at us, that were screwing us over by giving us uh, on these criminal uh, um, um, uh, 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 these criminal records. It's the same people now that are benefiting, that are monetizing us individuals who want to partake in smoking a little weed. But yet we are told that, oh, free markets are work, that they don't work, that we need more welfare. This is the thing, this is, this is the, the, the thing of the state. The state, the system as we call it, the system functions as it was meant to do. It was meant to screw over black folks. It was meant to screw over brown folks. It was meant to screw over white folks. And then the system was also meant to use those same individuals that screw us over, these same politicians that screw us over, they then come around and say, oh, well, we made a mistake, Mia Copa, please forgive us, please vote, and this time we'll make it right. Hell no, black folks need to wake up, we need to get out of this slumber, we need to stop willingly grabbing our ankles, and here's the thing, right? We can't even say that the system 
and screwing us over. The system is not screwing us over. When I think of someone being screwed over, I think of force being used. I think of someone pushing me down on my knees, pulling out my, pulling down my underwear and doing what they want to do with my nasty bits. But that's not what happens to us as black individuals. What we have done is we've said, hey, why don't I bend over and not only will I touch my ankles, but I'll try and touch the ground for you. That's not us being bent over. That's us willingly bending ourselves over to be done by the system. And then we want to get out in the streets and march, uh, excuse me, not march, exercise and sing and complain about the same individuals that we voted in office. Mr. Tim, thank you for that great intro. Can I ask you a question? Go for it, sir. You know, we have been accused a lot of times of always bringing race and black people into this. You know, is this a cannabis or a race show? Can you give us some kind of correlation between cannabis and race relations with black people in America or minorities sure. or the poor white people? Sure. So here's the thing, right? Here in the state of Georgia and, and, and the Libertarian Party, I have to give a shout out to the Libertarian Party of Georgia and the Libertarian Party of Atlanta. Uh, and not only those two organizations, but also um, Peachtree Normal to the Georgia Justice Reform Partnership to every individual that had a hand in decriminalizing cannabis, marijuana in the city of Atlanta. Everyone took a victory lap that, oh, now marijuana is decriminalized and you can light up a roach um, at City Hall and all is well. Well, we know that wasn't the case. We know, those of us that, were, that are in the fight, we know that after uh, marijuana was decriminalized in the city of Atlanta, that the police, the system, was still arresting us. And by us, I mean Black people. And here's the thing. When we, we realized that Blacks were being arrested at, at the same rate, and it, at, at the same rate that they were being arrested before the decriminalizing of marijuana, we got to thinking, well, how the hell are Black folks still being arrested for marijuana possession, for marijuana use, when it's, already, when it's been decriminalized. And what we found out was that the state, and I don't mean the, the state of Georgia, I mean the government and its agents, the police, were still arresting individuals for marijuana. And what they would do is they would hold them for marijuana and then load up other charges at, a, at, a, at another time. So when we talk about um, cannabis and, and marijuana um, um, uh, and, and how it affects Black people, we talk about it because we see it's empirical evidence, it's in the numbers that black folks get arrested at a much higher rate than white folks when it comes to marijuana, right here in the city of Atlanta. Now, do we know exactly what the numbers are? No, and the reason why we don't know is because the city claims that when they were hacked, if you guys remember, the city of Atlanta was hacked a while ago and the hackers mm -hmm. um, ransomed, uh, um, uh, I think they wanted Bitcoin. We know they're losers because they believe Bitcoin is the answer. They should have asked for <laughs> Ethereum, but that's another story, but anyway, these a-holes ask for Bitcoin. And of course, Keisha, and I have to apologize. You know, I am, uh, my alma mater is Florida A&M. Shout out to the Rattlers, shout out to, to the Hill, shout out to my, my fellow FAMU folks. Um, occasionally, FAMU lets out a bad apple. Um, Keisha Lance Bottoms is that bad apple that we let out. So I apologize on behalf of Florida A&M for Keisha Lance Bottoms. But at the end of the day, Keisha Lance Bottoms stated that we don't have the numbers because of the hack that the city um, suffered um, at the hands of these hackers. But we do know that black folks have been arrested at a much more, uh, at a much higher rate than whites when it comes to marijuana in the city of Atlanta. Well, I wanna comment on that. And then um, anyone else who's ready to speak, raise your thumb. Um, 
you know, I, I know something about that. I have a past. I haven't always been holy and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. But, you know, Black people might have $5 worth of marijuana and get arrested, go to jail, go to prison. And some of my white counterparts have ounces of cocaine and they're sitting up in rehab, swimming with tennis lessons and cooking therapy. You know, it's just an unfair system. But let's hear some other comments. Who's next, um, uh, Phil? Um, excuse me, Will? <laughs> So it's uh, open right now. Anybody can go for it if they want. No, no hands are up right now. Well, let's go down to the Sunshine State. Let's get a conservative point of view. Hey, Patrick, you're the big money winner tonight. What do you think about this issue? Hey, Kevin. Uh, thank you. Uh, th thank you for the uh, the hundred dollars. Uh, that's uh, fantastic. Good, good to have on a, a Saturday night. Um, I, I live in a state right now where uh, you have medical marijuana. So th the idea that uh, it is uh, not it's essentially legal here, you go to a doctor, say you've got a headache, you're, you're going to get a prescription for it. It's that easy. So other states that aren't there yet, it, it is it is almost a different world uh, in many ways. So uh, one thing I, I did hear about, uh, Tim had discussed, is the idea of, of crony capitalism and potentially the idea of maybe uh, marijuana being a, um, a business uh, for someone. It's interesting how, how they do it down here, and this may be how they do it in California and other, other uh, states as well, is, is really there's maybe two, three, maybe four dispensaries are kind of running the show. So I, I don't know who set them up or what kind of swing they have, but if, if you've got some, some hopes and dreams of, you can see craft beer, you see craft coffee, all these different boutique um, products, if, if you feel a passion that, that you want to do the same thing with marijuana and your state has it legalized, I'm not sure you're even going to be able to have that opportunity due to something like crony capitalism. It, it's almost like it's, it's, it's a, a rigged uh, system where you won't ever get that opportunity because the big guys are going to come in there and, and they're going to muscle out anybody that, that wants to do this uh, as a small business. So that, that's one thing that I thought was surprising is... Let me... Uh, Patrick, let me stop you there and then I'll let you finish. I, I totally agree. Um, just for your, your information, that is totally true. I've had friends, uh, you know, I'm in the business world and they wanted to do that. Um, they're giving like only so many dispensaries, so many licenses, but just the application fee in some states are like 250000 How many ordinary people have that? Um, then you've got, um, an, uh, no, I, I think some places 500,000, then an annual fee is like 250,000. And, you know, but even for the medical, it's a lot of the big corporations, uh, medical companies that are already multi-billion, you know, dollar companies that are getting the, the license and the contract. So once again, it is chronic capitalism. I just wanted to throw that in there. Go ahead with the next point. Well, that, that was my point is that it, it, it's already uh, a, a, a rigged system against just your, your average American who may feel passionately that, hey, I like marijuana and I want to do something with it. I want to create a business. I want to provide high quality marijuana to, to people that need it. it. It's an uphill battle. At least it is in this state. I don't think it, it could be done. Maybe that's a different story in other states. But really, just to echo Tim's point that it is something where you've got this, this new industry that could potentially uh, give a new a family business, new opportunities to Americans, they're already getting muscled out uh, by crony capitalism. And I think that, that's, a, that's a big problem. And it's just one industry already that, that we see that it's not even really fully mature yet. It's something that's just starting uh, to grow and expand. And believe it or not, the government's already chopping, it, uh, chopping the heads off anyone who has an idea of maybe getting in the, the ground floor and, and creating some 
some wealth for, for their family or a new family business or anything like that. So I was very surprised uh, learning more about the, the whole medical marijuana uh, industry, at least in this state, um, how it's really not open uh, to someone that, that has hopes and dreams of potentially starting their own uh, marijuana business or anything of that, that sort. So uh, just to echo Tim's point that um, it is, it is uh, unfortunate kind of where that's, that, that industry is already heading. Well, I'm just surprised. I didn't know that marijuana was illegal in Florida. I thought everybody smokes it. When I go to the beach, that's, <laughs> I thought that was the state plan or something. Okay. Well, if I could just quickly piggyback off of Patrick's point. Um, here's the misnomer. Uh, the, the crony capitalists have not strong-armed strong anyone out. They just never allowed you in. <laughs> and, 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 and cannabis, the cannabis business is the greatest example of crony capitalism that we have today. We have an industry, the prison industrial complex, we have the state that benefited off of the labor of black and brown and poor white individuals who were locked up, who were caged, who were incarcerated for weed and other substances. And now we see that the rich, the wealthy, the elites are the ones that are benefiting financially from this. And as Patrick pointed out, well, hey, well, what if I want to, to grow the finest weed? Personally, I don't wanna grow the finest weed. I just wanna to sell to my neighbor. I wanna sell him $5 bags or whatever the case, the running rate is for cheap wet marijuana. That's what I wanna to sell to him. But the state says that I don't even have the right to do that because these elitists, these wealthy individuals, these corporatists, they have a right to sell their weed at $100 an ounce or whatever the going rate is for fufu marijuana. No, the, the, again, the system isn't rigged against us. The system is, is working as it was designed to do and is designed to function, to screw over poor individuals, whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're white and middle-class working individuals also. We have to remember this, that we're being screwed over and this is the way the system was intended to work. Great point. And just to, um, you know, to, to kick in there, that even when the government does something, it's not about the freedom or the liberties of the people. It's not about what they, they want to see people even healthy. You remember, they're getting tax dollars on this and they're getting fees and regulation, uh, regulatory fees and, and just processing fees and application fees. You know, so, so once again, there's always some kind of monetary incentive to our government. Well, next we have a female point of view. We have Nakia from up in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, Nakia. You're on the Liberty Show. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I just wanted to say uh, I agree completely with everything Tim said, but you asked the question about where it, uh, this was racist, where it came from. So I wanted to go all the way back to the 1800s, 1900s, when, uh, well, let's go back where, to the 1800s where marijuana and hemp were okay. America was great with hemp. Um, there was this slogan called victory for hemp. And uh, you could uh, pay your taxes with hemp. Hemp was perfectly fine until there was an influx of Mexican immigrants that started coming into the country. Not only that, but there were also black jazz musicians that were making their rounds around the country and people were afraid of their influence, mainly on white women. So then you get the movie Reefer Madness. And in this movie, they're showing the uh, Blacks and the Mexicans as these horrible people who get high and want to rape your women. And, and then they'll get your women high and drive your women mad. 
That was the whole premise behind that movie, Reefer Madness. So, of course, that, you know, demonized marijuana. And as you know, the word marijuana is um, from the Spanish word. So it was demonized. You have DuPont and William Randolph Hearst, the plastic industry and the wood industry, who um, decided that everything that you could make from hemp, ropes, uh, textiles, those type of things could be made from plastics and from wood. And so if they could get rid of the marijuana, get rid of the hemp, then they could make more money with the plastic and the wood. William Randolph Hearst, who also ran newspapers around the country, had a forest full of trees that he was making money off of. And he figured if I could get rid of this hemp, then the people who are using it for products will come to me for my wood to use for products. He got together with DuPont, who were big on, you know, trying to get plastic into everybody's home at the time. They got together and decided to demonize marijuana with their newspapers. So they would show pictures of if a black person got into a car accident, they would show pictures of it and just pl plaster it all over the front paper and see what marijuana does. <laughs> they anything that black people did, especially jazz singers, uh, the Mexicans and anybody else who, you know, they wanted to lock up, they made these laws to lock them up. And the newspapers pushed it and pushed it and pushed it until the government said, okay, we're going to make marijuana illegal. And it went all across the world. Mexico was next at making it illegal and it just kept going. And that's why it has a history in racism. Thank you, Nakia. That's our administrative assistant for this show. Also, she's our history person. Thank you so much. We're going to go back to the wonderful um, state of Georgia, and we're going to talk to um, the founder of the show, Mr. DK, not the murderer, but Damon, you're back on the Liberty Show. What's up? And uh, Nakia, great, great insight on that. I, I really appreciate that. And also Tim and also Patrick, good point so far. But allow me to say that... Uh, Richard Nixon can burn in hell. And uh, the reason why I say that is the current drug war that we know in the United States of America essentially lays at the feet of Richard Nixon. And um, because of the we, we have the world's highest incarceration rate and most of that can be attributed to the drug war. And again, Richard Nixon is the one who pretty much started that in the 70s. And there is not a person alive today that has any sort of intelligence who should be able to say that the drug war has, has been in any way um, effective. It has not been effective. Um, during a 1994 interview, President Nixon's domestic policy chief, John Ehrlichman, provided inside information suggesting that the war on drugs campaign had ulterior motives, which mainly involved helping Nixon keep his job. In the interview conducted by journalist Dan Baum and published in Harper Magazine, Ehrlichman explained that the Nixon campaign had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. His comments led many to question Nixon's intentions in advocating for drug reform and whether racism played a role. Ehrlichman was quoted as saying, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate with hippies, with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. 
Did we know we were what did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So don't just take it from me. Take it straight from um, Richard Nixon's policy chief himself, who admitted that it was built on a lie. So 50 years later, we're criminalizing black people and poor whites and Mexicans and everybody else for a which is basically built on a lie. Because anytime that we've seen recently, we've seen um, the, the children of the rich and famous, they they use drugs more than anybody. But do they get jail time? No, they don't. They get they get you know a slap on the wrist. They get you know probation. They get you know counseling stuff like that. And then also with today and with the uh, the opioid epidemic, which impacts mostly white people, they don't get the same jail time that black folks have been getting for years. And so, if we talk about legalization versus decriminalization, is a conversation that can definitely be had. What's the difference between the two? What which one should we go with? It doesn't matter which one we go with. The, the reality is we do not need the drug war anymore in any shape or form, any, any way, shape or form. Because when we look at the turn of the 20th century, we had prohibition with alcohol. And then it got to the point where bootlegging was running so rampant that the government said, you know what, this is stupid. You know, we're, we're not getting anywhere. Let's just legalize it. And so since then, when's the last time you heard somebody getting shot over a six pack of beer? It doesn't happen, right? Because beer is so prevalent and alcohol is so prevalent. You can get it literally anywhere. It doesn't cost that much. And the, the quality of it is uniform across the board versus with a lot of the drug use today in today's day and age, because it's underground, you don't know what's in it, right? And so um, that's, that's what leads to a lot of the overdoses and stuff like that. So which leads us to think about Portugal, because when people talk about if you legalize, you know, marijuana or any other drugs, you're going to have a bunch of zombies walking the streets and everybody's going to be smoking crack and smoking weed or whatever. Now, there could be some truth to some people are going to do that because it's, it's there. But most people, they know that crack cocaine is not a Flintstone vitamin. They're probably not going to do it either way, whether it's legal, whether it's not. But the point is, Portugal provides a good insight into what can happen if you decriminalize or at least legalize it. Uh, Portugal uh, decriminalized drugs in 2001. The stats speak for themselves. In 1999, 369 overdose deaths uh, were, were in existence. In 2016, there were only 30. In 2000, there were 907 new HIV diagnoses due to inject, injecting. And in 2017, that number was only 18. In 1999, uh, the number of uh, people incarcerated for drug offenses was 3,863. And in 2017, it dropped to 1,140. So you know, we need to bring drug decriminalization or legalization to America because we have the world's highest incarceration rate. And a lot of that is directly attributed to the drug war. But we can't say we're any better off for it, because across the board, if you lock somebody up for drugs, nonviolent offenses, um, they do their jail time, they come out. How are they going to live a better life? They can't because when they try to apply for a job, they're going to say they're going to tell them, hey, have you ever been convicted of a crime? You've got to say yes, because if you if you lie and say no, they'll find out eventually and you'll get fired you know, later on down the line. So there's really no no way out. And so that's why the recidivism rate is as high as it is, because when somebody does serve their time, they want to do better in life then they can because they have this on the record. And it's all built on a lie. So, again, strictly out of the, the policy chief of Richard Nixon, his own mouth, they admitted it was a lie. As with most things in this country, if you need to demonize something, just blame the black guy. You know, the black guy is always going to be the, the butt of the uh, whatever we want to whatever we want to criminalize, make sure the black guy gets the um, gets the credit for for making it wrong. And so kind of going back to you guys kind of stole my thunder as far as the um, the uh, legalization of it or currently the um, if you want to open a uh, marijuana dispensary, and Kevin, you kind of alluded to it, but just kind of a, a little bit further, 
there's a, a website called greenrustconsulting.com. And so they've got application fees and startup costs for if you want to own a marijuana dispensary. Class one production license requires a non-refundable application fee of $25,000, an initial license fee of $200,000, and a license renewal fee of $100,000. Class two production license requires a non-refundable application fee of $5,000, an initial license fee of $100,000, and an annual or license renewal fee of $50,000. So again, just to kind of reiterate what you guys said earlier, even if somebody, a quote unquote regular Joe, wants to get into the marijuana uh, industry, who has that type of money just sitting around? Nobody, for the most part. So essentially, it's only the big players that can get in there, and then they can, through their different lobbying connections, whatever, they can create whatever uh, extra barriers to entry that they want to to keep the average guy from making money. So you got the black guy who probably was in jail for 20, 30 years uh, based on a lie, and you say, okay, let me get out. Let me, you know, marijuana has been my thing. I got locked up for it, so let me make money off of it. But they're not even allowing for that. So the the well-entrenched good old boy network is yet again screwing over the black guy. So not only did he get locked up, lost most of his, his, his livelihood being in jail, but now when he comes out, when, you know, let's say he wants to get a marijuana dispensary, he can't afford to do it. So that's pretty much all I've got, man. And I'll give it back to you, Kevin. So, David, before you go, I got a quick question. Yeah. Um, and then um, I want to hear from Dr. Dana because she's a psych major. And then we're going to go up to New York to hear Kevin uh, Wilson. But, David, you one thing I disagree, you said at the beginning that Nixon's war on drugs was not working or effective. Uh, I think is very effective at what he intended to do, and that was to lock up blacks and to keep people down, as to what Tim was alluding to. The whole system was to keep blacks on the plantation, to keep them from getting better jobs, to keep them, their families broke up. So can you comment on that real quick since our race relations especially? I think it's very effective at what it was intended to do. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So I, I was speaking from the 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 same person perspective, right? From a white supremacist perspective, sure, it served its purpose, absolutely. So when we talk about, you know, fast forward to today, the conservative, the conservative mindset is that, well, you know, there are a lot of black children born out of wedlock and all this other stuff. Well, that uh, a great portion of that is a lot of the guys are locked up for nonviolent drug offenses, you know, because the cops can essentially, they've got the leeway to lock up whoever they want to lock up. Because like I said earlier, if you've got, well-to-do rich white kids, they don't do drugs any less than any, anybody else. Matter of fact, if anything, they do, they do more drugs than anybody else. But the thing is, they've got the connections through mommy and daddy to get good, good legal representation to basically have them sweep it underneath the rug and nobody knows anything. Or well, they're when, sitting in rehab sipping lattes. Exactly. But when it comes to the, to the poor black kid who's, let's say, daddy probably got locked up, maybe his uncle got locked up. So yes, no, he doesn't have the, the good family structure. But again, the, the drug war contributed to that in a great deal. So again, it's not making an excuse, but it, what it is is acknowledging the reality of how this country goes after what it wants to go after. If it, again, if we wanted to fast forward and if, if the opioid crisis is the existential threat that, that we're told that it is, then let's give those people the same jail time that black folks have. But no, they say that we need to look at, look at them with compassion. We need to make sure that we pray for them. Well, you could have prayed for the black folks, too, but that wasn't your goal. Your goal was to lock them up, make sure they didn't have um, it, it, the opportunity to live a good life later on. And so you can kiss my ass if you're, if you're now trying to say that um, that uh, we, we should think differently. Well, thank you for that. I just wanted to piggyback because I think and, and we'll talk about this more later. We're going to move on. But, you know, I think this this whole drug war on drug 
part of it was just um, after the civil rights movement to keep blacks down, to keep um, people oppressed. And it was very intentional. So, um, but we're gonna go to Dr. Dana, then Kevin Wilson, and then I, um, I believe Nakia has another comment. So Dr. Dana, Kevin Wilson, and Nakia. So Dr. Dana, you're a psych expert. You're back on the Liberty Show. What do you have to say? Uh, well, I'm gonna make a couple of points. Uh, I don't disagree that uh, marijuana and probably all psychoactive drugs ought to be uh, not just decriminalized, but uh, ought to be uh, no longer be controlled. Uh, the, uh, but I would wanna make a couple of points. One is that there are, as other people have alluded to, there are some downsides to uh, these drugs, and uh, they're mainly due to two things. One is toxicity, which uh, Damon has uh, alluded to uh, over the years. That's the the different adulterants uh, have uh, reached large proportions. Uh, I'm talking now not just marijuana, but but hard drugs, so-called hard drugs. Uh, it, but um, so there is a medical need to have a medical, uh, well, and the other point about it is, is that they do interfere with life. Uh, if for some people that uh, they can't get and keep a job, they can't deal with family. Uh, and uh, so you do need to uh, have a process in place where you can deal with those people who are in real trouble. Uh, now, Portugal uh, uh, is an example of what they, a way of doing that is they not only have uh, decriminalized it to a certain extent, uh, but they have a, a very uh, strong force of, uh, of, way of um, treating people who, have, who are taking large amounts of, uh, of these drugs. Um, and in fact, they can uh, inflict, or they can uh, impose civil penalties, uh, things like uh, you know uh, working uh, it, it for the government, uh, collecting trash, and so on. So they, uh, but the the other thing I'd say is that uh, so they have implemented uh, social uh, support networks and a structure to. Um, uh, to help those kinds of people who need it. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that. Uh, that's another thing we would have to, we really need to consider. Otherwise, uh, uh, you know, uh, the uh, legalization wouldn't have the right effects. Um, so the other thing I would say is from an economic point of view is whenever the government bans or seeks to control uh, substances, uh, goods, whatever, uh, wh whenever that happens, there's a, it increases the price of those things. The clandestine uh, economies, illegal economies, uh, command higher prices for those uh, commodities and services uh, because they're illegal and because uh, people have to sneak around. And that does, that does a couple things. One is that means higher margins uh, and the, the you know, drug, uh, drug dealers know that. 
So it, it, uh, it uh, encourages the marketing people to go out and get people hooked uh, or when they might not uh, be, uh, be not, not, may, not, may not be interested. Uh, you know, the practice of giving out free, free drugs, uh, psychoactive drugs is pretty common. Uh, Let so, me ask you a question, Dr. Dana. Since you're an expert, I've got two very important questions. Then we're going to move on to Kevin in New York and back to Nakia. Uh, right. Number one, as a doctor of psychology, um, does marijuana kill brain cells, as people say? Well, most all substances kill brain cells, uh, we, but you have like uh, 9 billion of them. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it depends. You can get toxicity if you take large uh, quantities of all kinds of things, including right, drugs right. and so okay. on. So uh, it's not, uh, and typically when they do those kinds of tests, they pick out the people or the rats who, have, who get the highest doses to look for brain cells being, uh, brain cells being uh, degraded. Okay. Uh, but the last thing I'd say is, that, I wanna say is that that because there's higher margins on the illegal or clandestine markets, that also means that those companies are in position to pay off legally or illegally uh, the politicians, and uh, uh, either with uh, you know election uh, money to support elections or under the table. So there's a big incentive there to uh, you know, and those margins are so big that there's a big incentive to buy off the local police, the local politicians uh, to uh, keep in business. Yeah, well, we don't have to worry about that. This is America, we're a holy nation and all that stuff. So my last question for you, Dr. Damon, before we move on to Kevin, you are also a famous author on transgender and LGBT issues. So uh, what about the stereotypes that marijuana and drugs make uh, transgender LGBT people more aggressive sexually um, and causes them to do crime, leads them to prostitution and sexual immorality and things like that, um, bringing, uh, spreading diseases and HIV and stuff like that. Is there any evidence of that in your studies? Well, yeah, the, uh, actually the Portugal program was actually an HIV program, anti-HIV program to start. Um, let's say for transgender people, the problem typically is at a very early age, they're thrown out of their houses, their homes, and isolated from the community because they're trans. And that means that they uh, often are on the street and have to participate in illegal things, which you just mentioned, including pushing drugs and prostitution, and uh, consequently get infected with HIV. That's the root cause of uh, the involvement of transgender people. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that there's evidence that transgender people don't practice safe sex uh, to the, even the prostitutes uh, don't practice safe sex uh, as, as well as uh, cisgender people, non-transgender people. So, and we don't know why that is, but it's a phenomenon that seems to be uh, seems to be abroad. So, okay. uh, yeah. So that's the root cause of why transgender people are involved in all that, uh, but the vast majority are not. So. Okay. 
Great, great. So it's not the real root. Okay, we're going to go up to the great state of New York, or the used to be great state of New York. Uh, Como is kind of deteriorating that view. But anyway, Kevin, you're back on the Liberty Show. Uh, thanks for having me back on, Kevin. Uh, and and thanks, everyone, for your awesome points. Like, great history, N Nakia and Damon. Tim, your, your rants are always memorable, for sure. You, you always leave an impression, sir. And and some great points from uh, Dr. Dana there as well. That Well, interesting points. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was going to talk about New York State, but, you know, let me let me throw my, my libertarian, you know, uh, position out in the ring just to, to – maybe upset people. I, I think we should legalize all drugs. I, and I mean, all of them, not, not just cannabis. I, I think it is in the interest of harm reduction, not to throw someone in jail. If they're experiencing a substance abuse issue, there's some people who can handle using all sorts of different drugs from marijuana to heroin to, to anything else. We shouldn't be throwing them in jail for that. So let me let me just put on my, my super libertarian hat there and, and say legalize all the drugs, not just cannabis. But we are seeing what cannabis legalization looks like in New York. And, and some great points from, uh, I think, Patrick and Tim and, and Damon, who had all talked about the cronyism associated with that. And that's what we're seeing in New York State. Governor Cuomo was facing several uh, sexual uh, harassment and assault scandals, and he needed a PR bump. So he finally decided to <laughs> legalize cannabis in New York State. Um, I hate to be cynical, but that's how it seems like it's been. Uh, he could have done this years ago, chose not to until he needed that boost. And in New York, there's a couple of different things going on. So one, you cannot right now legally sell marijuana. In around 18 months, they hope to have a license licensing program in place. A couple issues with that is, again, people are still can still go to jail for sale, selling marijuana. You can possess up to three ounces right now, which is cool. Eventually, six months from now, maybe if you're lucky, you can grow up to six plants per adult in your household, up to 12 in a household, three full plants, three seedlings. So eventually you'll be able to grow your own plants, but we don't know when. Um, and the funny thing that's going to happen with the licenses for marijuana, because of course there's licenses, is that the existing medical marijuana providers, which basically had to bribe the government to be able to open in the first place, are going to be a significant advantage for being able to open up in communities. And a lot of communities are going to restrict the number of licenses available per city and per county. So guess what? You're probably only getting up with one or two dispensaries, and they're probably going to be the same dispensaries that are open now, uh, who got their way in, into the government and got permission to open up. So this is going to be a, a cronious mess. The prices are going to be outrageous and the black market will still thrive. So there's still going to be a very healthy black market for marijuana. The problems that exist with the drug war as it uh, exists now in New York state are going to continue to be an issue. There's still going to be that black market, the violence that can be associated with it sometimes and police going after unlicensed marijuana sellers. So yeah, in New York state, this is, this is what this looks like. Now, New York state like says that they want to make an effort to make sure that half of licenses are going to black and brown individuals. We'll see how that actually works out. Supposedly they're going to be using the tax dollars from the, the marijuana sales to help uh, black and brown entrepreneurs uh, to get into the industry. We'll see how that actually works though. I, I'm skeptical that New York state's going to be able to pull that off and would love to hear what other folks think of that too, since a lot of the commentary has been around how the drug war has impacted 
specifically black and brown individuals. Well, in I can tell States. you right now what I think, Kevin. It doesn't matter if they ever do it. All they have to do is say they're going to do it. And our people, our country, people are so naive and so gullible. You know, they make all of these great promises and everything. But I think one thing that you hit upon was the um, the tax dollars. And it was really ironic that New York even said, we're not doing this for the people. There's lots of tax dollars we can make off of cannabis. So they yeah. just they came right out and said, hey, we don't care about the people. It's about oh, yeah. Money. Governor Cuomo's stated reason for this is that they were in a budget hole because of COVID and said, oh, well, we, we need to make some money. So we're going to legalize marijuana to make some money off of it. That was that was the whole reason, not actually undoing the, the harm of the drug war in New York State, which costs, you know, millions and millions of dollars every year. No, no, it's we want to we want to make some money off of people and uh and that's how it's going to work and and it's going to be interesting because in the city of rochester specifically too uh they cities and uh counties are able to levy additional taxes on top of the the state taxes uh and city of rochester is proposing to add an additional tax to marijuana sales to make they call it a ubi but it's actually a reparations program it's I say UBI is kind of misleading because it's not actually like a universal basic income. It's going to be either housing assistance or direct payments to uh, to, to black people. That's that's specifically black black people in the city of Rochester. So I don't know how that's going to work yet. And what I imagine is going to happen is if there's a tax specifically in the city of Rochester, uh, a lot of people are going to drive five minutes to a suburb and just buy it there for, you know, 10 percent less. Or off the black market. <laughs> or off the black market, right? Yeah, like why would you like why would you go spend one hundred and twenty dollars buying from a legal dispensary in a city, or a hundred dollars uh, in a suburb, or fifty dollars if you just buy it in the black market? Yeah. Well, Kev, let me ask you a question before we move on. Um, you grew up like me, Holy Roller and Tim. So you're all sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. So, isn't this sin though? How can you support sin? Isn't it immoral? Want to destroy our nation? Well, I mean that that that's between you and your God. You know, it's uh, it's it's not up to me. I, I again, I don't think it's always a good thing to smoke weed. I have before. I didn't do it until I was like in my like late twenties. No, actually. I don't believe yeah. you. Uh, yeah, you. Yeah, no, I, I I have I have before. I don't I don't really do it. Like I I tried it a few times. I'm like it's not for me, right? Like. But like, if it's for you and for some people, it helps them sleep, helps them deal with PTSD, helps them deal with other things. Great. Do your thing. Or if you just want to use to relax, do your thing too. I just don't think that you should be thrown in jail for it. Well, I heard it makes you like, like horny and stuff. Is that how you made that beautiful little baby? <laughs> Is that what happened? Dang, Kevin. Wow. Getting personal. Uh, you know, I'm not going to answer that. I, I, I don't have to answer your questions, Kevin. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Stay around. We're gonna go. Um, is we're gonna go to. Um, is Nakia still here? Nakia. Okay. I'm well, here. Okay, we're I'm gonna here. go to Nakia, and then we're gonna go to David down in Florida. Go ahead, Nakia. You're back on the Liberty Show. Okay, good. Great comments, everybody. Kevin, both Kevins. Um, Dana, thank you for that clinical insight. Um, it, and it was making me think about what you said about everything can destroy brain cells uh, because. This is how we got to the opiate crisis, right? Doctors can per give you medication that will make you not good at work and everything else and addict you to drugs and everything else. Um, as far as the God thing goes, I think that it grows out the earth. It grows out the earth. It is a cure for many ailments, mainly pain. So I don't think God has a problem with it. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about was um, Corvain Cooper. 
I don't know if you guys know that name, but he was a young black man who uh, went to jail, had a life sentence for a marijuana charge. Um, Before he went to jail, he had taken some of his uh, money from marijuana. And I don't know if that's how he got it, but he had a clothing store. And uh, when he got out of jail, wait, let me tell you how he got out of jail. Trump pardoned him. But anyway, when he got out of jail, he went to his clothing store just to, you know, see what had happened to it. And it had been turned into a marijuana dispensary. So this father of two who goes to jail, loses everything over marijuana, finally gets back out and goes to look at his dream that's no longer his. And now it's some white person's dream doing exactly the same thing he went to jail for. Great, great. Oh, that was great. Great, great point. Okay. Were you finished? Um, it was one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, another little bit of history about the, the whole brain cells thing. You know, um, it went back to the newspapers demonizing, uh, marijuana that, that it was splashed all over the newspapers that it killed brain cells because of one study that was done on monkeys. And in this study, they took masks, oxygen masks, put them over the monkey's heads and just fed them straight marijuana. No oxygen, just straight marijuana. And then the results were, uh, duh, brain cells died. And that's how we got the whole demonization of it killing brain cells. Now, there probably are some brain cells that die, but not as many as did in that experiment. Well, you guys are all bringing such great points tonight. And that's what I, I think the last episode I was telling somebody, they were named uh, nameless. You got to be very careful when you're talking about statistics and research and numbers, because you got to go underneath the surface and analyze it and look at the whole story. So we're going to go to David down in Florida. Then uh, we're going to see if any of our, Miss um, Charlie or Miss Jackie want to make a comment. Then we're going to go back to Tim, our anchor for the night. So David, you're back on the Liberty Show. Welcome. Yes, uh, thank you, Kevin. Um, what people haven't mentioned tonight was that marijuana is still a cash-only business, and the federal government still has its thumb on the control of money. This week, there was legislation passed in the House to address that issue so that it could get away from being just a cash business. Um, and the other point I wanted to bring up that... Uh, Kevin alluded to is the, the underground, the black market will still exist if our local governments and federal government aren't careful of how they tax it. If they tax it too much, right? Yes, I can get 10 to 20 percent discount by going to the corner. Taxes and regulations, David, and overregulated. Yes. Yes, and um, but we know our politicians aren't smart enough to figure that out. Thank you, David. You're always uh, come up with something brilliant. <laughs> so we're going to ask uh, Miss Jackie or Miss Charlie. Would you guys like to say something before Tim comes back? Hey, Kevin, it's Charlie. I don't have much to say at all. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier when we spoke, I guess I've just been a pupil tonight because I don't know very much about this topic at all. I never even really thought about this topic because I've never used marijuana before. Um, you know, like 
of course, I know some people that have, including my father, who claimed to use it for medicinal purposes, but he's been using it for so long now. But I don't, I guess I don't have a stake in this game. It doesn't. But let me ask you, Miss Charlie, that, you know, that, well, I won't say that's a cop out, but that I hear that quite often. But do you realize that it still is affecting you, whether you personally use it or not? It's affecting you. I didn't realize it until we were into this conversation tonight. That's why I say I've been more of a pupil uh-huh. on this particular call and, and, and I've learned a lot. Right. So, but that that's about it. Okay. Well, thank you, Miss Charlie. Miss Jackie, would you like would you like to say something before we go back to Tim? Okay. Well, Tim, this is your show, Public Policy Director. Straighten us out. Well, I just want to thank um, um, Kevin for bringing up an, an awesome point, Kevin and Nakia and Dr. Dana. Listen, here's the thing, right? And, and Kevin hit on this point earlier. We have to visualize a succulent double D breast. Once you have that picture in your mind, let's now, at the end of this succulent double D breast is a nipple. And out of this nipple pours out milk. Now this isn't ordinary milk, this is government milk. This is the welfare state. This is welfare that the state wants all black folks to feed from. And this is when when Kevin Wilson talked about the reparations program that New York State is implementing. This This is that. This is the government forcing black folks to suckle from the double deep breast that is the government. And this is the intent of government. It is to keep us on the plantation. People ask, well, what do you mean by keeping us on the plantation? Well, here's the thing. The government wants us at our knees. And this is the the, the thing that black folks have to realize and brown folks and, and white folks, because it's not just black people that are on the plantation. The plantation is full of poor white folks, working class white folks, brown folks. It's full, it's a it's a rainbow coalition on this plantation. And what the government does is it tries its darndest to keep us separated. It tries its darndest to keep us bending at the knee, begging for its help, begging to suckle from its double D breast. And to Kevin's point earlier, we don't need the government to offer us a solution when it comes to marijuana. We don't need any special programs from the government to, oh, well, we're going to give the black folks, quote unquote, reparations so that they can have their own dispensary. No, legalize it. Allow every black person, allow every brown person, allow every white person to freely sell, to freely trade marijuana with their neighbor, with their friends in the free market. And that alone will help eliminate this thing that they like to point out, which is the wealth gap. The wealth gap has been created by the government. And then the government says, well, listen, here's this humongous wealth gap. Look at all these wealthy individuals and look at all these poor people. And you need us, the elected officials, to close the wealth gap. No, what we need from the elected officials is to get out of the free markets Stop calling them free markets because they're, they're not free. At best, they're freer markets. Allow individuals to trade whatever it is that they want to trade with their neighbor. And this is how we close the wealth gap. We don't need the government to lock us up in prison for selling marijuana. And then, as Nakia pointed out, to allow the wealthy, allow the elites to now benefit from this business of selling cannabis. No, allow all individuals to interact in this market of cannabis without government interaction, without government interference. 
And here's the, and, and, and I'll be quick about this. I'll be quick about this. Breast milk tastes good. And the reason why I know it tastes good is because every time our elected officials get on TV and they talk about they're gonna give us some more welfare checks, what the hell is it that we do? We get all sanctified, we get all excited, we get all, well, I can't wait to go to the Best Buy and buy me this cheap color TV. No, what we need to do is demand that our elected officials stay the hell out of the marketplace and allow us to interact in markets, in business with each other. And that will help close the wealth gap. Is there anyone else that has a final comment before we close out? Anyone? Hello? Hello? Yes. Hey, this is Brendan. Hey, Brendan, you're on the Liberty Show. Awesome. Hey, so I've been listening and you guys have had some great points. I just, you know, wanted to follow up on a couple of them. First and foremost, um, I guess on the, the race angle, something that really struck me, especially this year, um, you know, just how crazy it is. You, you have someone like, it's just, I think it's emblematic of the way the political class treats these sort of things, is you have someone like Joe Biden, whose kid, as everyone knows, has been smoking crack and doing coke and blah, blah, blah. But you know what Joe Biden, before he was Barack Obama's vice president, was really most famous for is a number of bills, including to that crime bill that classified crack cocaine, which was used more obviously disproportionately for black people, um, way worse than the normal cocaine. And I just thought, you know, looking at that today, seeing him and then seeing his son, and that, that is really the kind of the path that, you know, they diverge for black Americans and white Americans in the eighties. Brendan, Brendan, if I could just cut yeah. you off for a moment and give you a big, great amen to that point that you just made. Um, Kevin, can you rule out the <laughs> Hammond H8 so that we can tune up for this brother who is spitting on the well, mic? Well guys, Brendan, Brendan is my special assistant. He's our uh, law researcher and he's my, he's my everything. So go ahead, Brendan. You've been taught by the best. And <laughs> Okay. Another thing I had just, you know, random thought going back to, uh, you know, the reason it's illegal in the first place. I don't know if anyone talked about this, but I'm sure you guys might have heard a guy named William Randolph Hearst. And he, um, you know, he was a big, they called it yellow journalism. And he, what he does, he was basically a propagandist back in, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he owned almost all the newspapers, you know, around the country. So he was the guy who won the Spanish Civil War, you know, that, that was also based on a lie. Um, he, I'm pretty sure he said to the president, like, you know, you provide the cause, I'll provide the war. And uh, so what apparently he had a large, since he owned all these newspapers, he had a large ownership in, um, you know, force, a forestry industry. And the main competitor with that at the time was hemp, because back then, you know, it was like pretty much a 50-50 mix on what stuff was printed on, you know, how they always say the Declaration of Independence was printed on hemp. And so he used his newspapers to wage economic warfare on the hemp industry by doing the, you know, reefer madness and all this, the Mexican laborers they're coming over the border, they're going to kill your children, all that crazy stuff. But really, a lot of it was oh, just wait a minute, Brandon, I'm like, Tim, they who? Who are the they? Who are the I'm they saying, that's going to kill you? Uh, who are the they that's going to kill your children and rape and rape all the white. Specifically, at first it was Mexican laborers, they said. And then later as it became on, they said the same thing about black people. But 
when William Randolph Hearst did it, he was trying to push the hemp industry out of business because he knew he was going to make a ton of money on his own, you know, paper made from, you know, uh, trees because he owns a large ownership stake in that. Anyway, so that that really is what got the ball rolling because I think that act was passed in like 1933 or something. Great point, Brendan. Thank you so much. Um, Ms. Jackie, can you, are you able to unmute? If not, can you type your comments in the chat and we'll have Will read them. But while we're, while she's doing that, is there anyone else with a final comment? Thank you, Brendan. He's been one no of problem. the founders, founders of this show from day one, him and Damon. So anyone else? Uh, yeah, just being able to learn a lot from today was really good for me. I did think a few things. Uh, what David was talking about a little bit about it still being federally illegal to have marijuana means that they can go after anybody for any reason, including firearm owners. It's something that's on a firearm ATF form. It is still one just one way that they can use it to attack anybody they want to, uh, regardless of gender, regardless of race. That's what they're able to do with it right now, still, because it is federally illegal. They can't put their money into banks. So they have to be using a lot of cash, which makes it more dangerous for the people that do own what uh, the dispensaries. Even the medical marijuana dispensaries are having that problem as well still. So there are still a lot of problems um, up here. You may have heard from Larry Sharp uh, from New York. He likes to say that marijuana should be regulated like an onion. And in other words, what that means is that it should have no other regulation or other taxes than it would be on just a regular vegetable like an onion. And honestly, that's the only way I think it could work. I don't think we're gonna ever get quite that far, but it's something to strive for. Okay, anyone else? Tim, since this is your show, take us out. Well, um, uh, I just wanna give a shout out to everyone who has double D breasts. Um, <laughs> I, I was not, I, I see you, Dr. Dana. They, Dr. Dana, I, I appreciate all double D, double D breasts. Um, here's the thing, in all seriousness, when we talk about cannabis, when we talk about free markets, when we talk about quote unquote income inequality, we have to trace this all back to the originator of all these problems. And the originator of all these problems is the state. We now have a president, Joe Biden, we have his vice president, Kamala Harris, both of them, Biden, um, uh, with, Biden has taken pride, he's taken ownership in creating the Clinton crime bill, the, as he called it, the Biden crime bill. Kamala Harris has locked up over 1,500 individuals due to marijuana uh, um, violations. When we look at these folks that the system puts in front of us to, to vote for, to elect, we have to question what type of system puts forward our, our oppressors, those people that would lock us up, those people that would cage us up, those people that would have us have interactions with the police when we know that the police, for better or for worse, are prone to shoot people. We have to question what type of system is that that we are a part of. So to all my black friends, to all of my brown friends, to all of my poor white friends, the next time you go to vote, remember that these folks that you have voted for probably had a hand in locking up and caging your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your friends for something as silly as marijuana. Let's do, get away from the duopoly. Let's demand better 
And the only way that we can demand better is not to fix the system. The system functions as it was meant to do. What we must do is destroy the system and create a whole new thing. We can call it a different system that works for all people. And the only way that it'll work for all people is if it is equitable in the truest sense. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you should take from me so that you can have an equitable system allows you to do the same thing that I'm doing to earn income. It allows me to do the same thing that you're doing to earn income. And I'll end on that note. Okay, we're gonna have a little um, five minute overtime session if anybody can stay on, we got some great things going. Okay, Will, what is Miss Jackie saying? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania's in the house. So uh, Jackie is talking and she said, we do have the laws in place to stop pot sales. The problem is in central PA, that they want pot to be sold to boost their economy is what she's saying. Right, great, great point. Um, we all had so many great points tonight. I don't even want to get started, but I just think, you know, um, the interesting point Brendan brought up and Tim, it started was, was this, this race angle and people always say, why do y'all end up talking about race or whatever? Because that's what built our country. And the fact that this whole drug war was very intentional keep people, as Tim said, on the plantation, not just black people, brown, but even ordinary working class white people. Um, I remember uh, when I went back to college on the application, if you wanted student loans or financial aid, if you had these drug and uh, marijuana charges, it could kick you out the box. But yet the, the richer, mainly white kids that, you know, were snorting cocaine and had went to rehab, they didn't get, you know, they didn't have to deal with that. So these are some real issues. And Kevin, I don't know, is Kevin still on here from New York? Kevin, I don't know if he's gone, but the point of that they're going to change. Yeah, I'm here. It's muted. <laughs> don't sound so excited. You know, and the, the point that they're going to take some of these tax dollars and, and use it as a form of reparations. I mean, that's an insult. Hashtag, just send me a check. Or really, I don't want a check from the government because it's going to bounce. Send me gold. But, you know, we use all of these, these, these diversion tactics to try to get people to think that we really care about you. Oh, we care about, if you cared about reparations, you've had 400 years. And, you know, I look at, um, uh, uh, Damon could talk about this, but uh, President Biden, it just hurts me to call him President Biden because he's got two trillion for this. And now he wants another two trillion for, what is it, um, nursery schools and, and uh, daycare centers. And then he's got another three trillion on the back burner. But yet when it comes to reparation, oh, we're not going to give them anymore. We're just going to give them housing vouchers. And then what, get subsidized housing in the ghetto? Get real. Come on, guys. Somebody, we've got seven extra minutes. Anybody want to comment? Let's fire this thing up. Damon. Is Damon gone? No, I'm here. I had to unmute. Damon, yeah. straighten us out. That's what I pay you the big bucks for. Straighten <laughs> us out. Is that a form of reparations, getting housing vouchers from legalization of marijuana sales? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That, that's that's the easy way out. They want to try to, like I said, they want to try to act like they're doing something without really doing anything, because what is the dollar figure? You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, what does the reparations package look like? How big is that number? The, the, the number for reparations, to be honest, is essentially whatever the U.S. economy is, because reparate, I mean, slavery built literally this this economy. So the a, a tiny fraction of what, what they'd probably be talking about is that could be a down payment, I guess. But, you know, what they would try to but do is housing probably, vouchers. That's an insult to me. Housing vouchers. That's that's an insult. Yeah. What you, what, that's what the an thing insult. Is, like, 
Well, like I said, that, that's the thing. Reparations can take on many forms, but like I said, if that's if that's an area, okay, it can be one area for maybe a specific subsection of the people. But again, the question when it comes to reparations, when they talk about that is, you know, what form would it take? Could that be a form for some people? I guess. But, but isn't that keeping blacks still? I mean, like, what if you live in a nice area? I don't need a housing voucher. But, you know, when I think of housing voucher, I think of the projects or whatever, you know, subsidized housing, Section 8. That's, as Tim said, more welfare, more keeping people dependent on the government. Do you get my point? Oh, I, I see what you're saying, yeah. Like I said, at the end of the day, what 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 reparations truly should look like is giving people the and it's not giving it's well it, it is but it isn't but it's it's the the ability for people to have the money and do with it as they as they see fit so the actual cutting them a check and let them move wherever they want so a voucher like you said to that point yeah i mean that that kind of directs it in a certain direction but if you give somebody let's say a check and say they can start their own business with it that's even better because with a business you can actually do multiple things with that you can have you can, you can start a business you can you can buy real estate with it and essentially essentially flip that money so but but that but that's that's the true nature of what what both sides are really fighting because we're we've always been told as long as we've been alive I'll be 43 this year um, Kevin, you may be slightly older than me, but at the end of the day, we've always been told that the Republicans are racist and the Democrats are, you know, lovers of black folks. Well, I, I would contend this with with Joe Biden being in office. What has he said specifically about helping black people? He said nothing. Meanwhile, as we I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the immigration uh, discussion they're they're literally buying hotel rooms for illegal immigrants. So the money that is used to buy an illegal immigrant a hotel room and, and whatever other you know, incidentals that come along with that, you cannot tell me that there is not also money to pay to the people who originally built this country. And I wanna piggyback real quick, my last point, unless anybody has anything, we're in our double overtime, three more I minutes. I do, if I could just make a quick question. Hold on, uh, a quick point. Tim, I'm gonna let you close out. But Kevin, I wanna bring this one point, Kevin Wilson. You brought up a really good point that you partake in cannabis. And you know, I'm really sick and tired of them stereotyping like it's all black. White people love marijuana. They love drugs, purely. Why do we keep what do ever you're on TV and you see a drug addict, they're black or Latino? You know, and, and like I was telling David and, and Patrick down in Florida, I didn't know marijuana was illegal. You go to the beach, everybody's smoking. So oh, sure. talk about that, because this is just, you know, we we gotta we gotta do better in our country. Yeah, uh, the drug use rates, especially cannabis, is pretty much the same across all races in the United States. Um, but the arrest rates are not the same. And, you know, I'll kind of leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, and, and again, not not a regular drug user. I have smoked marijuana in the past. Oh, see, I don't see, I don't do it. I, I like I just I didn't you, like it that much. But was, you're a libertarian. Okay. Now you're trying to see. Now that's not the libertarian view. Now you uh, like, I did it, but I'm sorry or don't criminalize. Well, you know, I don't apologize for it. I, I was just like, it wasn't really my thing. You don't have to apologize. Well, what's your thing? You made that little baby. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> okay, Tim, close this out, man. Take us out with a bang. Earn your money. I just want to, you know, piggyback on, on Damon's point. Here's the thing about the Democrats, right? They, they say they're a lover of people of color. That, that's not true. What they, and, and, and you know that, and you brought this point out. What the Democrats do is they, they make these promises and they say we want to do these things, but at the end of the day, what it does is it benefits the state. Let's look at the program that Kevin has spoken about in, in New York. Well, we're going to give these Black people special privileges to sell <laughs> weed. Seriously. 
Why do we need a special privilege to sell weed to our neighbor? Who benefits from these special privileges that allows us to sell weed in our own neighborhoods to our neighbors? The state does, because now the state is going to tax the hell out of us. And let's not mince words when it comes to what taxation is. Taxation is not something that we just freely give because we like giving to the state. No, what taxation, taxation is, it is the state telling you, giving you the option. You can either grab your ankles or we can push you down and violate you. That's what taxation is. And we need to picture that. We need to picture an individual who has a gun pointed at his face and the state, the, the, the police officer, the agent for the state, instructing him to either bend over freely or I'm going to bend you over. That's what taxation is. It is the state taking what is dear, what is most precious to every individual, and that is wealth. And this is who benefits from the, 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 the crumbs that, and this is the thing, the Democrats are always trying to throw crumbs at black folks, at brown yeah. folks, at working class preach white it, folks, preach it, and preach tell it. them that we're in your corner. Hell no, the Democrats are not in the corner of the poor black person. They're not in the corner of the poor brown person. And they're definitely not in the corner of the poor white person. The thing though, is that the poor whites have, have peaked, if you will, they peaked, that's a, 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 a slang term from Miami. They've peaked the game yeah. of the Democrats. And we saw this in Michigan when the poor whites, when the working class whites went to the capital of Michigan and said, hell no, we're not going to abide. We're not going to take laying, uh, take this on the chin that the state is going to uh, at will tell us that we can't go to work, that we can't earn income because they understood that if they're not able to freely earn income on their own terms, that they would be dependent upon the state, that they would be on the plantation. So- well well, Tim, that's a great point, and I, I'm in my triple overtime, so y'all can fire me. But let me tell you, you, you hit up on a point that, that we're going to have to hold, do a whole show on. But the whole drug war is to steal people's wealth, especially people of color, poor people, because when you lock them up and put them in jail, you got to pay to get out. You got to pay a lawyer. You have to pay. Uh, you, you miss being with your kids. You can't leave a legacy to them. You can't vote. It's taking their wealth. So that is a really great, great, great point. And it's not a war on drugs. We got to stop. And, and I'm guilty of this myself, calling it the war on drugs. It is not a war on drugs. What it is, is a war on people. And it's been a war on black people. It's been a war on brown people. And it's been a war on poor and working class white people. This is what it is. It is a war on the individual. Great, great. Well, guys, this has been another fabulous show. I just want to let you guys know next month, we have a celebrity coming on the second Saturday of May. We have Debbie Dooley, one of the most conservative females in the country, the president of the Atlanta Tea Party. She's been on Fox News. She's been on CNN. She was one of the original founders of the National Tea Party. And she is going to really come on with a lot of her friends. And we're going to really have a powwow. So make sure you're here next, uh, the second Saturday, when we deal with the Tea Party conservatism and what's going on in our country today. Thanks a lot, guys. And thank you, Tim, for being our anchor tonight. And um, good evening. Good night.